Welcome to this week's episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Uh, today, Glenn and I will have a discussion around the 2018 federal budget, which was handed down this Tuesday evening, just gone, um, by the Treasurer Scott Morrison. Um, so Glenn and I have a discussion about the budget, how it might impact uh, our, our listeners. Um, it was was focused on personal tax cuts with only um, a small number of changes to the superannuation uh, sector. Um, so just a reminder that this is a obviously a general discussion, so we haven't considered your specific circumstances, so do p- please seek uh, professional advice should you need to. And we hope you enjoy this, this week's episode. Hi everyone and welcome again to the Money Mentors podcast. Uh, Earlier in the week, the Federal Treasurer Scott Morrison um, delivered the federal budget, which was his third. Um, The main themes really were around income tax cuts over a six-year period. Um, There was a few changes with regards to superannuation and Centrelink. Um, but I suppose all in all, the major focus has been on tax cuts, I suppose. Um, but I suppose without getting too political, Nathan, what, what was the sort of general feel with relation to the budget? Yeah, I think my, my general feel was that the, I guess, revenues had increased. So due to perhaps corporate corporate Australia generating a little bit more more profit and some of the uh, I think some of the commodity impact as well had, in, had helped, like iron ore prices, for example, had helped increase revenue. So the government had has is or is able to basically pass on some some tax tax cuts to to Australians um, in the in the next couple of years. It's more to help uh, lower and middle income earners. But then, if they do continue as proposed all the way out to two thousand and twenty four. Um, it will kind of hope that help the the more middle and higher income earners as well. Yeah. So with with the personal tax cuts, you're right. I mean, I suppose we've been fortunate enough in Australia where our economy is driven a lot by commodity prices. That there has been a pretty strong couple of years, probably since early 2016, where the market mm. did bottom and there was a few concerns, but that has recovered quite strongly. So that's been good on the revenue side. Um, I know the government also has another uh, sort of measure where they don't like tax revenue. Um, making up above a certain level or a certain percentage of GDP. And I think we're approaching those figures now. So they progressively l- try to increase um, the levels at which new tax rates come in. Um, so I suppose uh, generically, I mean, tax cuts are, are always good. There's always going to be debate, I suppose, as to where those tax cuts are directed. Um, and unfortunately, I suppose with lower income earners, they, they tend to not benefit too greatly because I suppose they're not paying a lot of tax. So when there's changes in tax rates, that they tend to probably miss out on, on, on those benefits. So I suppose there's always going to be cr- criticism at that end, isn't there, where unfortunately the focus can be on you know, the, the higher income earners getting the majority of the benefit. Um, but I suppose that there is, is the issue in that mo- higher income earners are paying more tax, so they're always going to benefit from tax cuts. Um, and it's always a bit of a balancing act, isn't it, with those sorts of things? Yeah. Yeah, and the the uh, the tax relief to lower income earners isn't isn't great either. Like it's only a the offset. It's it's only yeah. a small, um, without going. I mean, we can go into the detail if we want, but it's only a, a small benefit. So, um, what what did you, Glenn? What do you think about the the fact that in in two thousand and twenty four, if it goes through, that basically income from forty thousand to two hundred thousand 
uh, will be taxed at the same at the same rate, effectively. Which is that, that's the 32.5% tax rate. 32.5%. Yeah. And then we're effectively going to see the 37% bracket removed. removed. Yeah, so, so just a, a bit of context there. So at the moment, if you're earning between 87000 and 180000 that's where you're effectively taxed at that 30% tax bracket. Um, and as you were saying, they're, they're looking at removing that tax rate completely. Um, so effectively, anyone earning uh, between... Forty and two hundred thousand um, will be taxed at that thirty-two point five percent tax bracket. What, what do you think about that? That they're oh, taxed look, at the same rate, same rate percentage. Look, it's, it's a difficult one. I mean, it, it, I think if you look at all, all we can try and do is compare our tax rates with those of our of our trading partners, um, and arguably our tax rates are probably the highest in in the world. Um, so from that perspective, I think we need to ensure that we're competitive. Um, th- there's always going to be, I suppose, a debate as to you know how much share of the tax rate should higher income earners bear versus lower income earners. Um, yeah, look, I-, I think it's a it's a pretty tough one to say, but mm. personally, I think the tax cuts are always good. I mean, you would argue that through tax cuts, although there's always the challenge of trying to balance the budget, um, that you would hope that through those tax cuts, there's perhaps increased expenditure. So hopefully, that stimulates the economy. Mm. Uh, maybe an increase in savings. I mean, we, we've spoken, or well, there is commentary quite a lot about the national debt levels and so forth. Um, so maybe, you know, more more income in people's pockets gives them greater income to save, repay debt and spend more. So I think I don't think there's anyone out there who's going to be complaining by getting a tax cut. Yeah, and it's definitely going to be a more simplified tax structure, isn't it? So if you yeah. look at the, the proposed table. That's right. It's a lot simpler but i think also there needs to be an incentive to try and earn more money and that's that's not saying that people who um, are earning low incomes aren't working hard and things like that but i i think you know one of the issues with um they call it tax um sorry tax creep where you know salaries increase but the tax rates stay the same or kick in at the same levels so i think just through the natural course of tax um regime that you progressively need to increase the levels at which new tax rates kick in uh, the bracket creep, sorry. Um, yes, I think it's I think it's a mm. good good idea. I suppose the the, the um, skeptic in you says is is it a way leading up to the election to maybe try and buy some votes because it is over a seven year period. So I suppose yeah. that's the criticism. You know, is this government even going to be in in parliament by the time these tax rates get through? So it is a very long term yeah. approach. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's the criticism I've heard that the you know, try and target the the more popular or the more the more popular decision is to help lower and middle income earners, and then in the future years, uh, higher income earners might get some relief. So, um, look personally, I don't I don't mind it either. When I first when I first heard about it, you know, people earning forty thousand to two hundred thousand tax the same, I was like, mm, is that fair? But I guess at the end of the day, you, the more you're earning. The more tax you're paying, so yeah, it's just a percentage. It's isn't just it? a percentage. So still, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm generally speaking, I'm I'm pretty comfortable with the, the the proposed tax changes. And I suppose, look, just just in relation to the short term, I mean, they're quite small increases. Like for example, someone who's earning um, ninety thousand dollars or more gets a tax saving around one hundred and thirty-five dollars. So we're not talking massive tax cuts. Mm. And I think those big changes won't really come into effect until. Um, you know, the, the back end, which is 2022 um, is where most of those, sorry, 2024 is where most of those changes come into effect. So there is a little bit of uh, 
time to wait before we get the full benefit of those of those tax cuts. Um, I suppose, look, aside from the personal tax cuts, which really have the main focus in, in the media, um, the other thing that has been removed, which was, I suppose, preempted, was the uh, Medicare levy rate was due to increase from 2% to 2.5%. So the government's keeping that at 2%. So that's a, that's a generic tax that effectively everyone pays. So that, that's good for everybody. Yeah. Um, was there anything else on the taxation side of things that, that sort of sparked your interest? Um, oh, one, one thing that I saw, saw a couple of times was that the, the wage growth estimates ha- have increased. So in their forward numbers, um, they're assuming wage growth to, to go over 3% and it's only been uh, like 2 point something of a percent. Yeah. So um, some people have said like, is that, is that sustainable? Because obviously, you know, when you're dealing with such big numbers mm. um, and if wage growth doesn't, you know, doesn't go as planned, it can hurt the... The tax receipts, tax revenue. Well, that's been one of the biggest issues, not just in Australia, but in the US as well, where unemployment's been really, really low, but there hasn't been a lot of wage growth. So, I mean, that is a positive. Um, whether it's sustainable, you'd hope that it would be if, if, if unemployment stays where it is. Yeah, and just that the, I guess it's this budget is reflective of the economy is in not a bad not a bad way. Like I know there's people have different views on the economy. Is it a strong economy, a bad economy, I suppose? The, the numbers don't lie and you know, tax receipts have been pretty strong. So, and the budget can reflect that. Hence, we've seen some, some tax cuts and also other things like infrastructure spending has, um, has, has been increased, which I personally think I think is a, is a good thing. I know previous governments perhaps have been a little bit shy to um, spend money on infrastructure projects. And mm. I, I think it was $25 billion was the, was the figure I saw and the rail link and a couple of other projects. And I think that's, that's a great. And personally, I really like when when I see this uh, infrastructure spend. Increasing. Yeah, I mean, it's, whether it's just the the state of the market or the economies worldwide, but I think in some ways it can be a little bit of a shame where the government or both sides of the government become obsessed with running surpluses, because I mean, you go back to economics one hundred and one. I mean, the government's role is to run a budget depending on what the economy or the state of the economy is at that point in time. So, in times of economic downturn. Well, the government should be running a budget deficit to try and stimulate the economy and then to try and slow down the economy during boom times. That's when they should be perhaps looking at running a surplus. So it's not necessarily a bad thing running a deficit so long as you've got the growth, I suppose, to back that up. It's like buying a borrowing to buy an investment property. You don't mind borrowing, paying the interest so long as that property is increasing in value so that at the, at the time in future, you look at what your assets worth versus your liabilities. You, maybe you're not too concerned about it. So... I mean, personally, just through my understanding of budgets, it's not such a bad thing running a deficit, but obviously you can't continue to run massive deficits um, forever because at some point, you know, um, it'll come home to roost and there is debt that's um, accumulating. But on the infrastructure side of things, I agree with you, Nathan, and also with interest rates so low for governments to go out and borrow money is probably no better time than now to, to looking at doing that. And I'm sure our the next generations will... Um, will benefit from that and we'll look back and hopefully be uh, happy that we did it at that particular point in time. Um, and, so just and, and just on the surpluses and deficits, the based on the on the numbers in this in this budget, even with the tax cuts, we're we're looking to be back into surplus in 2020-21, which so is that's sooner than what they were thinking. That's earlier than what was initially yeah. thought. Yeah, so sure. even with with tax cuts and infrastructure spend and other initiatives. Yeah. Mm. So look, just moving on to the, there was a few changes with relation to superannuation. 
Um, the first just relating to self-managed super funds, a, a couple of changes were really just the increase in the number of members that a self-managed fund can have, so going from four to six. And the other change um, was the removal of the need to have a self-managed fund audited every year. Um, so when I read those, I mean, I think if anything, what, what it does increasing the, the number of members, it probably just increases, increases the, number, the flexibility, doesn't it? If you've got a bigger yeah. family and you want to have that sort of superannuation asset within a family group, I think that's a good thing. Um, but maybe even from a business perspective, if, you, if you've got business partners consolidating your superannuation, if you want to buy the factory that you're operating out of. So I don't think there's any downside really in, in having more members in a self-managed fund. Yeah, not not really. I agree. Definitely more flexibility. The only, you know, the only thing I'd say there is sometimes with with more people involved, it can get more become more difficult to manage. Yeah. So yeah. for example, you know, with business partners, the business has some trouble. Um, they might have different objectives in terms of how they want to invest it. Yeah. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that, that's a good point, isn't it? Like, yeah, that that can happen with a husband and wife, but just the more people you've got involved, the more difficult it can get to manage. So yeah. more flexibility. Just be aware of potential implications on the other side too. Yeah, I think in particular when you've got different generations within one super fund like you might have the the parents and the kids well the parents may be closer to retirement so their emphasis might be on income and you might have children you know mid to late 20s who have got 30 plus years to look at um, investing and before they, they start drawing down so their strategy might be quite different so yeah i agree i mean i think it's a good point that really need to make sure that the strategy aligns with what the underlying objectives are of the members um, and on the audit side of things if you've got a self-managed fund obviously you have to get a tax return done every year and part of that is, is an audit um, and there's a cost involved. Um, so, so the rule is, or, or the proposal is that um, so long as you've got a pretty clean uh, compliance history that you can actually have the fund audited every three years. So that, that could save people, you know, three to $500 a year in some that, instances. I think that was the intention. But one thing that I spoke about with one of my colleagues the other day, do you think auditors are going to are really going to drop their prices that easy and and if you think about it let's say you're having your self-managed fund audited every year and you're paying call, so you, it, call it 500 yeah, yeah if they pick it up three years later I think it might be three times that well are they just going to say for that three years i'm going to charge the same price like yeah. there's a certain number of transactions and things they need to audit time will tell us I, I think the intention was to bring the cost down but whether that'll play out like that i don't i don't know well if you're an auditor it's a pretty big impact to your bottom line it could third your revenue. I doubt. Uh, my, my my view is that. Sorry, my suspicion is that I doubt they're going to reduce their fees yeah. that easy. <laughs> I suppose it's something to have a chat with your auditor about. Um, the other thing that was interesting, I mean, at the moment with superannuation, obviously, as soon as you turn sixty-five, it becomes very restrictive to be able to contribute. So you have to be working forty hours over a thirty-day period in order to be able to, to make contributions to super. Um, there is a slight relaxing of the rules. Um, for those aged between 65 and 74 that have super of less than $300,000. So what, what basically, they, they will, you will be eligible to make voluntary contributions in the financial year following the year that you last met. So for example, if, if you've worked um, up until age 66 and you satisfied that work test, so you've worked 40 hours in 30 days, that this proposal will enable you to contribute in the next financial year, even though you may not have worked during that financial year. Um, that, so that's a that's a like really I, I really like that initiative because quite often people retire, and they may I don't know let's say they sell an asset or downsize their home or 
or they have entitlements from their employment that they get paid a little bit after they retire. Yeah, just ex- gives them a little bit of flexibility yeah. to put that money into super. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great one. I mean, I, in, in the blog that I wrote about the budget this week, I just said that, I mean, my view was that they should just remove the work test altogether between the ages of 65 and 74 if you've got smaller balances. Um, but I suppose this Would is, be nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's just, obviously, it's, it's only really one year um, a one-year increase in the ability to contribute, but you know we're obviously working in an ideal world, and we have our our wish list. Um, but I think that would remove a lot of complexity. There's been a lot of restrictions on the ability to contribute at, at, as far as amount. So it used to be 180 per year, then it got reduced to 150. Now it's 100,000 per financial year. Um, so I think there has already been placed a number of restrictions on the ability for people to contribute, in particular those with smaller balances. If you've got less than three hundred thousand dollars, my view is that you should be able to, you know, put as much as you can. Um, but that's that's also outside the ability which comes in from one July this year, where you can actually um, put three hundred thousand dollars each from the sale of a property, which you don't need to satisfy the work test. So I suppose yeah. that's an add-on to this as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. Super. Generally speaking, superannuation was. Um, we'll talk about a few of the other measures in a tick, but relatively un, unchanged and. Unfortunately, as you just said, it's still quite hard for uh, older Australians with smaller balances to get to get a lot of their wealth into super. There still is restrictions. I mean, we've spoken about the things that have been proposed, um, and, and there's probably nothing negative. There's, there's, I mean, this is probably one year compared to last year where there was, there was a lot of things that were introduced um, that they're quite measured this year. And nothing, nothing too controversial. Um, I mean, is Moving on a little bit, is there anything that you would have liked to have seen? I mean, from a superannuation perspective, I mean, it's probably a bit contradictory for us to say that because we keep saying that they should just leave it alone. But uh, uh, would you say there's anything that you think the government should have looked at? Yeah, oh, look, we've spoken a lot about this in, in, in podcasts, discussions, whatever you want to call it, where, I mean, the government did make superannuation such a generous uh, a tax haven yeah. and they've slowly, slowly over the last few years taken that back. Yeah, that back sure. So... Oh, look, of course, uh, look, I'd probably like to see it a little bit easier to get money into superannuation, mm. but that's probably my one of my wishes. Like, th- it definitely is very tax advantageous, even though they've wound that back over the last two or three yeah. budgets. But I'd still like, as you just said a little bit earlier, Glenn, I'd still like to see it made a little bit easy for people to get money into superannuation because you could have, uh, for example, you know, you could have a situation where you've got a um, somebody with a low superannuation balance, they might receive an inheritance or sell a home. I know there's certain measures about selling the home, but they may come into money and they can't get... Yeah. They might only be able to get $100,000 into super. That's right. So... I think in particular at the back end... Like at the back end, yeah. Most people, you know, at, at the moment, as far as um, salary sacrifice contributions or pre-tax contributions, there's, there's like that flat rate of 25000 per year. Um, but most people of a younger age bracket, you know, earlier on they're paying mortgages so they can't afford to maximise what's going into superannuation. Then they may have young families, sending kids to school, all those sorts of things. Um, so it's really not until maybe mid to late 40s at best that they have the capacity to perhaps look at increasing contributions. So I, I think I, I would have liked to perhaps revert back to what it used to be where once you turn 50, you could actually put a, put $50,000 of your pre-tax earnings into super because that, that just enables you to pl- play that catch up. Um, yeah, agree, 
agree. And probably once again, this highlights how important it is to start as early as you can. Yeah. Even, I mean, I know it's a balancing act, like you said, when you're younger and you've got mortgages, families, but the earlier you can start getting money into super, it's so important because the older you get, as we just spoke about, it's hard to get to get money in. Yeah. Um, just looking at, I suppose, one of the other things, which was uh, just relating to um, default insurance within superannuation. So, for a lot of people who are starting employment, perhaps have smaller balances, um, generally the employer that they they become or they start working with, they'll have their default superannuation fund, which may or may not be an industry fund. And quite often those industry funds have a default level of insurance, uh, which can be a good thing, um, but there are premiums applicable to that. Um, so basically what the government's proposing is that if you want insurance and you're under the age of 25, um, and your balance is less than $6,000, you have to opt in for insurance. So they're basically removing that default level of insurance for younger people, so under age 25, with smaller balances. Um, what, what are your thoughts about that? Look, I've heard people talk either side, whether they like it or not. Yeah. Personally, I, I don't mind it because it gives... You're not, you're not forced to go into something f- perhaps if you don't need it or you have insurance elsewhere mm. and maybe you're a bit lazy with how you manage your superannuation. So uh, as long as you're on top of your finances and you have superannuation, you can opt in if you want to opt in. So personally, I, I don't mind it. Yeah, there's probably pros and cons. I mean, I, I agree that it's probably something that in the end, you should have control of your own superannuation fund and, and the, I suppose the benefits or, or add-ons that, that you have within that fund um, and, and it, look, most of the time at a young age and a small balance, I mean, what, what you don't want to see is, is insurance premiums just slowly eroding what you've got in super. But I suppose on the flip side, we keep hearing and, and reading how so many people are underinsured. You, you'd hate that people neglect it. And, and I think you're right. People should really um, have a focus not only on how much they've got in super, but also what their levels of insurance are, whether that's life insurance, permanent disability insurance and income protection. So that's probably the risk under this new proposal that people who have previously had insurance may not have insurance going forward. Um, it's something to be yeah. aware of. It is. It's a, that's a risk, but at the same time, they're potentially not paying for insurance that they don't need, exactly. depending on their situation. So it's a very... I know what the government was trying to achieve where they're trying to protect you know, Australia's yeah. interests and yeah. they have insurance, but at the same time, I mean, we're all... We're all, you know, big people, I'd like to think, and you can take control of your... As long yeah. as you take control of your financial situation and That's understand right. where your insurances are, what you need, you might be able to do achieve a better outcome, basically. Yeah, you can only protect people from themselves so much, I yeah. think, as well. Um, just another thing, probably uh, relating to, you know, industry slash retail funds was the removal of um, exit fees. So exit fees will be banned on all superannuation accounts. Um, I suppose, you know, as we, we've always been very st- strong advocates of, of removing the multiple layers of fees, commissions and things like that. So I suppose that there's no harm there. I think that's generally a, a pretty good measure. Yeah, great. Like people might have had several different balances have been and been afraid to, even if it was a small exit fee, they might have been a little bit gun shy to, to, to roll it into, into one fund and this will just take that away. So yeah, it's a great one. I think it gives people a lot more freedom and choice to move around as well. I mean, what you don't want is for people to be locked into certain superannuation funds and not have the flexibility and choice to move. So anything that inhibits that, I agree that it, it should be um, should be removed. Um, Nathan, I suppose just moving on from the superannuation side of things, um, I mean, j- just quickly before we do, 
just to re, uh, remind our listeners, we're not going through every single change within the budget. We're really just touching on the things that we felt would be, I suppose, of most interest um, to the listeners. Um, Nathan, the moving into the social security slash Centrelink side of things, um, there, there is an existing pension loan scheme in place at the moment that basically enables people to borrow money from the government using their house's security um, and the maximum loan amount is, is currently 100% um, of the age pension. So, what, But that's only available to pensioners. Um, so the proposal um, through the budget is that from the 1st of July 2019, basically anyone of age pension age will be eligible um, to, to borrow up to 150% of the age pension against their house and, and can effectively have that paid to them fortnightly tax-free and the interest on that loan is 5.25%. Um, so look, I personally think that's a good measure. I mean, there is the ability to do that obviously with a reverse mortgage from a bank. Um, so I suppose, you know, when you look at a lot of pensioners, um, given the strength of the property market in Melbourne and Sydney in particular over the last, last number of years, there are a lot of retirees who have a significant amount of capital in their homes and don't want to move and, and, and rightly so. Um, so th- I think this is just a, a further way for them to access the capital within their property. Um, so there's not a lot of downside. The only caution I would, I would, I suppose, provide to our listeners is that it is a, what's, I suppose it's, it's, it's a pseudo reverse mortgage, isn't it? Where you borrow an amount of money and the interest is compounded on that loan over a period of time. So it's very important to seek, I think, advice when you're looking at going down this path. Um, and I suppose they are limited as to how much they can borrow being 150% of the, of the age pension. So it's not a massive amount of money. Um, but generally when I've spoken to the very few people that I have in relation to this strategy where you're basically borrowing against your house, um, my caution will be not to start too early if you can because obviously the power of compounding can erode the equity within your property over a period of time. Did you have any views on well, that? Not, not a lot Nathan? more than what you've just spoken about, Glenn, yeah. So um, those sort of the main things that I wanted to chat about, Nathan. Was there anything else that that you that sort of sparked your interest at all? Oh, the thing... So I was just trying to find it in my notes, which I, I can't just at the moment, but um, the the government has is trying to protect Australians in terms of retirement income products. Mm-hmm. So I know I think it's in the very early stages, more more consultation at the moment. So I think that's a bit more of a, a watch this space, and I think that that's more to do with protecting the um, the longevity of Australians' uh, superannuation balances. They want to make sure that they're invested in, I guess, assets or or, or vehicles that are, are going to maintain enough income over that that Australian's lifetime. Mm-hmm. So from from my reading, um, I think that's very much in the early stages, though. So. That, that's really just trying to simplify the reporting um, requirements, I think, for the a lot of the, as you were saying, a lot of the, rec- the annuity-type products. Um, and, and I suppose, look, it's a good point that everything that we've spoken about is really just in that very early-on discussion stage. Um, nothing's law yet. It still has to go through Parliament. Both sides, so, I mean, obviously, they have to get the majority in order to pass these things through. Um, but it's, it's always, I suppose, food for thought. That there's, there's no harm in sort of being aware of what the proposals are, um, looking at perhaps taking advantage of some of the things that you can. Um, but ultimately, yeah. you need to obviously wait for these things to get passed through 
um, the parliament. Yeah, so so I just found found some some notes on it. So the government will introduce a retirement income uh, covenant into the superannuation industry that requires trustees to develop a strategy that would help members achieve their retirement income objective. So I think just a little bit more focus on the income side of it, um, and I think trustees have to demonstrate that they've, I guess, considered the ability of their of their of their portfolio, so if it's a self managed super fund, for example, to be able to generate income to provide for their retirement. So yeah, that's probably something that's yeah definitely in the consultation period. So, watch this space. Yeah, well, look, I think we might wrap it up there, Nathan. I think our general summary is that um, it's not an overly exciting budget, but there there was a we we couldn't sort of identify anything that was too um, harmful. There wasn't tax increasing. There was obviously tax cuts, which is always a good thing. Um, there were some changes to superannuation, but I, I suppose we, our general feel they were probably good things. There was nothing negative surrounding that and, and obviously on a social security side of things as well the increased flexibility around um, that, that pension sort of loan scheme now being available to everyone um, so as i said earlier n- nothing's through parliament yet and as always speak to your advisor about anything that specifically relates to you um, look forward to speaking to you all again next week Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. Uh, please, as we always say, check out Hewison Private Wealth at our website, which is www.hewison.com.au. You can also find us via the various social media platforms, so Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Uh, we'd also really appreciate if you leave feedback, um, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. Um, once again, hope you enjoyed the podcast, and we look forward to speaking to you all again next week.